Insight and Awareness Spiritual Explorer. Soul Intuitive, Emotional and Spiritual Mentor and Award-winning Author, Lorraine Nylon. Welcome explorers and thank you for being part of the adventure. Today our guest is Chris Thorell and he's a former Royal Marine Commando and an author of a best-selling memoir, Eating Smoke, One Man's Descent into Crystal Meth Psychosis in Hong Kong Triad Heartland. Now that's book one. Book two is 40 Nights, My Escape from Crystal Meth, Hell. So you've had a big life experience with um, what you've had for fodder to write about in your books. Yes, it's been a hell of a journey and it, it just gets more and more <laughs> exciting, Lorraine. Because you've got an extremely popular um, YouTube channel as well. So what do you do on your YouTube channel? What, what are you, how are you helping people? Because you do a lot of work for charity and all sorts of things. So what's motivating you now? So my biggest motivation at the matter at the moment, I would say, is coaching people as in what is going on in the world, why you see global events, and enabling them to we call it walk the warrior's journey, which you might have heard referred to as the spiritual battle, enlightenment, um the sacred secretion, the chrism, the Christ, um, nothing to do with religion for, for your listeners, our friends out there, um, all, all about the alchemical processes that take place in our bodies that if we don't learn how to control them, things like serotonin, DMT, dopamine, then, uh, there's plenty of people out there that um, will try and control them, as we're sadly seeing in the in the Middle East. Mm. Yes, yes, again, uh, everyone's falling for the the big lie uh, put out by the big club. <laughs> Problem, reaction, solution, and what I found is having overcome extreme trauma in my life, which started at a terribly young age. You know, I've kind of worked it out, Lorraine. I've had a life of experimenting, really, in some very serious situations. So I was in conflict. I mean, I had a, you know, had a childhood that probably kids shouldn't really go through that kind of stuff. And uh, that continued until I was homeless when I was 17 and living in my car. And my friend bet me I, I couldn't join the toughest infantry force on the planet or at least the the toughest basic training which is the Royal Marines commandos so as an angry young man homeless for the second time I said oh yes I can and I went off to prove my my ego because I was very angry and you know I felt a failure and I needed to prove to my to everyone that that you know I'm not a loser and and um, I was in conflict at 19, so I was in the Northern Ireland conflict, walking down the streets of a major British city or Irish city, depending on what your 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 viewpoint is. Um, uh, you know, with a machine, what was essentially a machine gun, fully automatic weapon. Um, the chap 
behind me just to give you one example we we lost a, a chap uh, got shot through the head in the i think the second week uh, which really brought home the another reality of life that people die and that i was in a pretty serious job and i was a essentially a a paid killer although it took me many years to real realize that i remember being on patrol and the chap behind me got shot three times then the gunman turned his sights on me and the ground was pinging up like in the in 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 the uh in the cowboy films um that was uh quite exciting fortunately um jock lived to tell the tale that's good um and then i i left to run what was a fairly successful business in hong kong a marketing business and cut a long story short i was kind of headlined as the next millionaire of this company and this is all materialistic third dimensional nonsense to anyone listening but when you're a kid and you suddenly got that dream of the Porsche 911 is coming true. Mm. Um, and I was earning at 23. I was earning uh, in, in US dollars, let's say five thousand, seven or $8,000 a month for, for, for a, one month. <laughs> it was very brief. So I yeah. thought, Lorraine, I thought, oh my God, yeah, I am that cliche materialistic 90s, red Porsche driver, oh, I would have got a black one, but, you know, Wall, Wall Street kind of, you know, with the stupid haircut that they had back then and snorting all the, you know, the lines and stuff. And um, I got out to Hong Kong and within, I'd say about seven months, I was, cr uh, all the business had failed. I was chronically addicted to crystal methamphetamine. I after a series of jobs gone wrong, I ended up working for the Hong Kong triads as a nightclub doorman. I was never a triad. I never tried to say I was a triad. I was just their white Western uh, doorman face for to kind of calm the white Western clients down when they, you know, when they had too many. And if that wasn't kind of serious enough, because I went from one very serious club into another one basically and there was yeah murder and and chop what they call choppings which is a revenge attack um and and serious kick-ins going on all, all all the time um uh to give an example my one of my friends worked at the door of another club and a transit van pulled up one night 12 or so triads piled out the back all with their meat cleavers and they just said about chopping my friend to, to pieces um he survived even though he had to have his thumb sewn back on um and the nutcase was back at work three days later um so it was kind of serious but as if this wasn't serious enough um having one doorman uh, chu chai was um he was a, a, a street fighter a real tough tough nose fighter and i saw these guys fight and it was like they were just sociopathic they had no feeling for any you know anyone that, that made them lose face which is a big thing in 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 chinese culture the other chap daisu was um 
he was a, he was a really tall guy, about six foot three, and he was a not only a doorman but he was an assassin. So every now and again, he'd disappear off across the border into mainland China um, to do a hit on someone, and then they'd smuggle him back into the into the territory again. So as if it wasn't serious enough, um, I was phasing in and out of clinical psychosis. So I'd overdone, uh, you know, if we use the euphemism burning the candle at both ends yeah i burnt it at both ends set fire to it in the middle wrapped it up <laughs> dynamite and chucked it into a flaming volcanic pit it was um so and what what do you think you know you obviously have worked on yourself a lot and done a lot of the inner work so what what do you think was taking you to that was the decision that you made to do at that time. I know, I know things start steamrolling and you just, we kind of end up in different experiences and it's not like we go, that is where I'm going to plan to get to. But what is it that had you, that you're in that self-destructive? I was um, self-medicating yeah. for pa- for pain. Yeah. But, but pain that I didn't know I had because I thought I'm normal, you know, Okay, it's not normal being homeless in your school uniform, but you know, I just I was such a self-contained unit, Lorraine, that I used to love standing on a street corner, homeless, smoking a cigarette at fifteen years old, saying, "F the world, this is my life, and I'm gonna, you know, if this is what it is, this is what it is." And yeah, right. there was something bizarrely perverse about, I didn't want an easy life. I'm not yeah. saying I wanted the abuse that I went through as a, as a little tacker no. that, 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 you know, but what I'm saying is, is I didn't want an easy life. I, I wanted it hard. I wanted to, you know, just see the hard side of life because if you didn't, how could you, like be a man. I, I know this is, uh, sounds a bit crazy, and just to um, but to that, get but that's your that- reality. If you if you've got child, I've wrote a book on child abuse. So, and, and the majority of my clients, when I first started working with people, were um, childhood sexual abuse victims. So, what people don't realise is where that actually takes people, and it can take them to many different ways and very many different ways of self destruction self-loathing and self self-opposing so and and sometimes you lock into a belief system you know being the toughest man in the world handling it you know all the rest of it that's going to feed that hole in you or it's going to at least keep it suppressed so and that's why a lot of addicts you know that they do go to any form of drug or any form of gambling etc they're looking to numb out what they're trying to keep suppressed. They're trying to escape their inner chaos, basically. Yes. Like I say, it's um it's subliminal though. I if you'd asked me, you know, are you a self-medicate, I wouldn't I wouldn't have known what you were talking about. It's I'd have no. said, no, I'd, I just like getting off my head. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is fun. Leave me alone. Yeah, this is, you know, this is my and that was my biggest problem, Lorraine, was like my biggest problem was society and okay, you know, looking back, it's possibly 
difficult to just accept people that that are in self-destruct mode. Um, I didn't think I was in self-destruct, but I did destruct everything around me. My house, you know, my physical health, my mental health. Obviously, I was in clinical psychosis, um, but I found it really hard. I came back to the UK um, with the idea that, yeah, I'm going to get my life back together and get back out to Hong Kong because I really, really loved, I love Hong Kong. I love working in the nightclub area. And um, that was almost like where my problems, my, my 3D, you know, my materialistic problems started because I sunk into the biggest depression that I could only kind of kick myself out of with, with substance use and and because I didn't have any money, I was unemployed. I could only afford to sort of get high for three or four days, and then I'd have ten more days until I got my my sickness benefit through. Um, and that ten days, I crashed on a sofa bed. Just I couldn't get off it. I didn't want to get off it. I just watched daytime TV, which is just like abhorrent <laughs> to me now. But I. I'd get, I'd get a scent, like my drug became like Columbo when a detective yeah. series, cut. I'm like, I could, I could, because I could get lost. I could, yeah. you know, it would hypnotize me away from feeling how I was feeling. If I had a packet of tobacco, it was just like, oh yes, yes. I've got something I can just change my mind and, I would, um, my shopping become like £1.67 a week, which, yeah, I don't know, in, in, I think that's like three Australian bucks or something. Uh, sorry, a, a fortnight rather. And I would buy all the supermarket cheap brand stuff. And I, I'd make, well, I mean, you can't buy a lot for £1.67. You can buy like a packet of porridge, a big cheap packet of pasta and a bag of sugar and some milk and I would mix those four together and I lived on that that and cheap white sliced bread that cost like 12 pence a loaf back then um and the cheap the tub like the big tub of margarine supermarket spread that again cost about 17p the the bovril um that's like Vegemite right I'd have to shoplift that because that was too expensive. And then I got caught shoplifting one time and it was, it was, you know, I nearly got caught, I should say. And it was humiliating and, and, um, sort of to cut a long story short, I, I saw the light one day. I got into such a dark, dark place. The psychosis was gone. So I was no longer sort of plagued by these demons, but, yeah, I was low as as low as you can get, and I couldn't stop self sabotaging, and I didn't, you know, and and it got to the point where one day, I was too ashamed to go out of my house, you know. I had always, I've, I've, I've never had like self loathing or anything like that. I know that's a big issue for people that mm, are many. Been damaged. I, yeah. I never, you know, I, I probably lacked a bit of self-belief because, you know, when you get knocked from pillar to post, I think that's normal, but I always like love myself. 
and but I wasn't doing it in practice. And one this one time, I woke up cold, shivering on the floor from where I just crashed unconscious after a, probably a five day binge. I did five days. I'd hardly drink anything. I wouldn't eat anything, and I'd be manic. So it'd be like the equivalent of running a marathon every day for five days. And I did that for nine, nine, nine days once. And then I would crash. And this particular time I woke up shivering, freezing and starving, hungry. The raveniness I used to feel was, it was animalistic. It was like being a, 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 a starving wolf. When I got that pasta and pour it, I would just, I couldn't eat it fast enough. You know, in Hong Kong, I'd eat raisin bread and condensed milk. That just, just, I crave calories so much. When you haven't eaten for nine days and you've mm -hmm. danced all night with the, the Filipino um, uh, home workers, you know, there's a lot of Filipino maids in Hong Kong. Um, you've been up dancing all night and, you know, then you work on the nightclub door the rest of the night. And then the daytime you go to some party somewhere and I'd do that for nine days. And anyway, the ravenousness I was feeling this particular morning back home in the UK, I was too ashamed to go out of the front door, Lorraine. I could hear the kids playing in the street outside. I knew if I went out, they'd be like, Chris, come and play football with us because they all they all love the kids in my street. Love me. I was the only adult that gave them any time. Mm -hmm. You know, they come around. Chris, can you fix my bike? Chris, I got a stepdad, and he's, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. supposed to tell anyone this, but he's been horrible to my mum and all. And and it was it, it was you know, I always wanted to be that adult that wasn't a dickhead around kids like everyone was when I, you know, I only met one adult in my whole childhood and talking till I was like 16, 15 that I wasn't scared of. And wow. that's my, co my cousin, Brian, because he was such a cool dude. He worked on uh, he was the chief purser, the chief like steward on, on um, the queen Elizabeth, you know, the big, yep. the big yacht, the Royal, Royal yacht. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing not the royal yacht, but the ro royally named yacht. Anyway, he was such a cool dude. He he he'd come home on leave, uh, uh, and he he lived up in uh, near London, but he'd come down to the southwest to see us. And I re just remember he the kids just loved this guy, and they'd reach in his pocket and they'd pull out all these fifty pound notes, which was unheard of back then. I mean, we lived on nothing. We were a poor always were poor and they pull out this money and he wouldn't even say anything he just let them and the parents would have to go no give that back to brian give it back and and he was just so cool he used to take me to the pub like when i was 14 or something <laughs> and treat me like a man you know and and anyway he was like the only person that ever was just a cool dude around kids all the rest of my childhood were just abuse i call them abusers yeah. They, you know, strangers in the street could come up and hit you, you know, right. teachers would, would, you know, one teacher stripped me off in front of the class and spanked me. And I, I reckon that's probably one of the most traumatic things I've, I've ever, um, you know, my, uh, um, 
experience was I just hid under a table. Um, we're supposed to be cleaning up the floor at the end of the, the day. And I hid under this table and I was just in shock, Lorraine, you know, I was in, I was like, just, I wanted this kid to talk to me. So I didn't feel so like alone and embarrassed and shamed. And, you know, could you imagine if a teacher now pulled someone's trousers and underwear down, hoik them up onto their desk in front of a class and physically abuse them? No, they, they'd get like eight years in prison or something. Yeah. Back then, that was normal. Anyone could do it. Anybody could do that to you. And you didn't tell your parents because you you just thought, oh, well, I'm I'm the problem. So so I'm getting a bit long winded here. So I always wanted to be that. That adult that just, you know. You can see written. why through all your experiences, you can see why you were that angry young man like look look what were your experience of the world was it was like you're in battle before you joined the army before you became a marine you were already in battle so yeah so what was the catalyst for you to go hang on i gotta get off this meth i've got a you know something's got to give what what was it that got you moving in that direction right so Sorry, I get a bit long-winded with my stories. It's just—it's a big story, you know, though. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah it is. So, story. so I heard heard the kids outside, and I wanted to go out. We have something here. You probably heard of it called a pasty. It's the old coal mining snack. Mm, yeah, yeah. It used to make it half apple and half meat back in the day. But when where I live, it's that it's famous. My friend actually took them down down under and started a Cornish pasty company in Australia. Um, but anyway, I, I had this particular time when I woke up, I had a little bit of money and I could afford this pasty. And there was a corner shop about, you know, a quarter of a mile away. And I couldn't go out the door. I, I was cold shivering in my boxer shorts on, 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 on the floor, starving hungry, but I couldn't go out the door because I was just so sketchy. I was, you know, when I was in the Marines, I was 13 and a half stone at one point. And now I'm, I'm like nine stone. I've lost four and a half stone. Um, yeah. Or so not did quite. you, when you, when you seen yourself in the mirror, did you recognize yourself or did it feel like somebody different? Yeah. Was in the it's all so gradual, you know, you don't yeah. just decide one day to almost, to lo almost lose everything and nearly be dead. It's yeah. so incremental and, so cut a long story short, I had number nervous breakdown, probably about number three. I, I sat there, I heard these kids. I started thinking of me as a kid. I started thinking of this little kid that didn't deserve what he went through. And then I, and, and then I, I burst into tears like, Chris, what are you doing? What are you doing? This whole substance thing, it was great in the beginning. Like I learned so much about myself. You know, it, it, we had the dance era um, over here, the rave scene. It was just phenomenal, a phenomenal experience of learning and socializing and dancing and incredible music. Then I learned that I could write, that I could paint, that I had a really good like sense of balance, that I had a unique way, way with people that, that they would re respond to really well. And it was good. But 
what was they doing now? That like the the gravy train, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it departed. Like the honeymoon period was over. What what was I still doing? Because it didn't work. It wasn't working anymore and it hadn't worked for a long time and everything was chaos around me my house was smashed up the clothes I wore uh, like I'd stolen them off a off a heroin dealer you know a year they they didn't even fit me and I and then I thought Chris used to be a handsome young marine I used to wake up after a night downtown of all these phone numbers in my pocket and I'd be right who which of these girls am I going to call oh, I think 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 <laughs> I think that was the prettiest one. She was nice. It was just insane. I drove a almost a brand new BMW. I had a mobile phone when people would be like, what's that? Oh, it's a phone. What? Yeah, it's a phone. We use them in business. You know, it's all stupid materialistic stuff. But I was young. I mean, I'm still 27 then. You're maybe right. I was 20, maybe I was 28 by this time. And um, And with that, I just crying my eyes out. What have you done? What have you done? And in that moment, I thought, right, you got to start looking after that little boy. You know, it, adults might have been wrong to him when he was a kid, but you're doing it to him now. You got no excuse. You're doing it to him. So how about you stop blaming people and playing a victim and you take action? And I thought, right, I'm never going to be an angel, don't want to be an angel, and I certainly don't want to give up the uh, quote-unquote party lifestyle, style, although that is a euphemism for taking drugs on my own. But I can cut down. I can cut down. And as I'm thinking this, the light shone through the window, almost like that epiphany moment. It, 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 the, the sun was out there, and I could feel the light outside. And... And I thought, right, I'm going to wake up every morning from now on. I'm going to throw open them curtains, even if I'm absolutely hanging out with, with a come down. And I'm going to say, morning, son. Thank you so much for this life because a lot of my mates are dead now and they ain't here to enjoy it. But I am and I ain't going nowhere. And that's what I did, Lorraine. I, instead of spending all my money on the gear, I spend 10 quid a fortnight. So, you know, 20 bucks, that was it. And when it was gone, it was gone. So I'd have me manic period, you know, crash, like maybe one, two days, and that was it, and I stuck to it. That, that takes that a lot of determination to do that. That's, that's someone that has this in, inner strength of being able to make a decision and hold to that intention. I think it was more, my life couldn't get any more painful. Yeah, right. It was, you know, it was an easier option, Lorraine, to be honest. It was just the easier. And when I woke up in that morning, unbeknown to me, I'm now on the path to enlightenment. I mean, I physically, the, the build-up's been there, but now I've stepped foot because I woke up, I threw open them curtains. I said, morning, son, even though I really just wanted to sleep on that crappy little sofa bed and just hide from the world because I was exhausted and shattered. I'm like, nah, you made a promise yourself, get up. And and when I did that, and I went and made a cup of tea, not class A's, a cup of tea. 
Yeah. And I said, do you know what? I paid for this. I'm going to enjoy it. That's all. And I got enshrouded in this energy. Like, uh, like, like we call it the ready break glow (laughs) after that ready, that, that breakfast cereal advert. And like, I knew something had changed and I knew there was more to this life than just the little three dimensional unit called Chris Thrill. So did you feel the support from whatever you want to call it, divinity or from, you know, where we come from? Let's just, let's stick with divinity. I had connected with the, the eternal energy in the universe. What some people will call God, but I don't believe in like dogma and it's just, you know, this is, this was the first step on my journey and through a commitment to lifelong learning, because, you know, I still have my rough patches over the years. I've never been to a, you know, a self-help group. I've never been to the doctors. I've never had any support. Everything I've done is myself. I've n- never really stopped. Can we say we call it dabbling with with certain yeah. certain certain things? And alcohol become a massive. I don't want to say a crutch because it's not a crutch. It's just a poison. But poisoning myself every night, probably for thirty years. Um, I did if because I was drinking before I took substances. I was drinking like um nine percent homebrew when I'm thirteen, fourteen years old. And when I look back, I'm like, bloody hell, thirty years have gone, Chris, and you've been loaded like every day. But that didn't mean that you know, I've lived, worked and traveled now in 85 countries across all seven continents. I'm a qualified pilot, qualified skydiver. I'm an Antarctic polar circle scuba diver. Driven journalists to to India and back to write articles about people living in poverty. I was awarded the second level commendation of the Finnish nation on the grounds of human generosity. Um, Last year, I was awarded English Veteran of the Year for inspiration um i've completed or i've ran the length of the united kingdom ultra marathon every day for 36 days carrying carrying all my camping equipment completed a quadruple ironman this year i ran the marathon disablers race across the sahara in the second toughest year on record and so on and 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 so forth and you know a lot of this history i've you know i've uh, been addicted to to well for for the most part um uh, weed and and alcohol but in recent years i became a father and through this constant lifelong process of learning I got to a point where I realized it had to stop and that it's fine sabotaging my own life because I was a hedonist, you know, and an angry, uh, not angry, but, you know, I'm like, nobody tells me what to do. But when you get a kid, they have every right to tell you, you know, 
what to do. And there's there's the influence of your cousin showing you just what that level of kindness and what you wanted to feel you wanted to be. Yes. And so I embarked then, you know, my my spiritual journey took me to a place where I, I, yeah, it just become really good, probably out of survival. Um, I started to listen to a chap called John St. Julian on YouTube, who's, who's got an incredible grasp of the esoteric nature of the scripture. So like when I was a kid, I'd go to church and just hear this utter nonsense that didn't make any sense and be like, why do people sit here listening to this? John, uh, through using dictionaries like this, explained that incredibly powerful um, esoteric alchemical message that this is a guidebook for understanding yourself, not, not, uh, you know, and what it's done, Lorraine is, is, it's I'm completely set free now. I I don't have any bitterness, any hate. I I you know do my best not to judge. Um, I don't buy into any of this nonsense that you see on the news because I don't watch the news. I don't support the the you know mass recurring of anybody. Um, I've I've uh, got a good grasp of history now, and I look back at the. Uh, the sort of European banking cartels that popped up in in around about the 1600s, and how they they merge with esoteric societies. So you know, underground fraternities and and also Middle Eastern uh, influences, you could say, such as Babylonian um, money magic, um, uh, Babylonian mystery school, and. I explain to people how these groups are now playing everybody off against each other by keeping people in their ego, keeping people in their lower animal desires, as opposed to reaching upper self where you shake off this 3D delusional body and realize that we're actually all part of the quantum energy field. So you yeah. are me and I am you and that is what we primarily are. And if we buy into the division of just being human beings that we're independent this utter nonsense i call them the big club um that's what they want they want you to believe that you know and they are they are they've done this for thousands of years from when they took control of the money supply in ancient babylon and turned it into a system of money lending and and um you know, fractional reserve banking and interest rates and mortgages just to enslave people yeah. with money that doesn't even exist in the first place. Um, this is what this is what what, what I kind of help people to do, Lorraine. And and because um, I, I think too, like spirituality doesn't matter what your version is or how you know how you, you what your path is, but it's all about understanding yourself, and then and really operating from what resonates with you and a lot of religions yeah. and, and different belief systems are not going to register they're not going to resonate with you because it's all about controlling you and your your spiritual path is about having your free freedom of will your free cho free choice to actually come and and explore who you are and how you want to be in this world but we're in a world that is is set to oppress 
people's freedoms and to yes. have us all like cattle running the same line. So so what do you think humanity, our big question on the podcast is what does humanity need to acknowledge and understand for us to evolve? So what's your answer to that? Well, my answer would be is humanity doesn't have to do everything because the spiritual battles within. And I only, you know, I lift the weight. This is a beautiful Australian expression, or I heard an Australian woman say it. She said, lift the weights in your own gym. Right. And it's so true. You don't go to the gym and look out the window at the gym across the road and go, oh, I wish I was lifting those. You you lift your own weights, you know, and it's the same. We All the answers are inside. I live my life. I don't judge other people living theirs because anything they've done, I've probably done it myself or something even more stupid. And um, that's that's what humanity do, needs to do is, is we need to go within because we live in paradise on earth, but you only find it, uh, you only find it inside you. However, we do also live in this meat suit in the third dimensional realm. And we need to be aware that there are con- wannabe controllers out there. And, and, you know, we make the assumption because we're loving human beings that everybody's like that. Yeah. We, we, we are yet to grasp that some people are born psychopathic and sociopathic. They don't have the gene with which to experience empathy, kindness, and love. So it's no good them trying to become enlightened like you and you your goal and my goal would be is to live the most love you know once you realize i know you know this uh lorraine and i'm preaching to the choir but you know once people realize you are me and i am you that is why love is the highest form of frequency um that the human being can experience because once you realize we are all one then unless unless you're so, a sociopath, you realize that you love everything because it's all you. Of course you would. You know, you're never going to like drop bombs on someone else's country. That is just mental. They're me. They're just, they're the universe experiencing itself subjectively in their country. They are you and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, unfortunately, and you know some people don't have this um, genetic makeup that we do it's said to have been damaged through through years of you know i call it keep it in the family it's when you try and keep your wealth in your family so you marry your family and um it it's said to do a lot of damage to sort of like you know your your human dna structure and there are people out there that can't experience empathy so this journey that we're on they ain't on it rain they're on a all they can do is control control for for you know their new world order and if people have any doubt as to the the evilness of of the cold-blooded reptilian nature of certain you know of, of 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 the i call them the big club just look at the atrocities that they bring about you know Look yeah, at what yeah. happened in New York 20 years ago. Look at, um, you know, what they're now, those poor people in the Middle East, all of them, Israel and, and Palestine, they're all being played. They've all been yeah. sold a narrative that you're a victim and you're a victim and they're fighting each other, not realize 
the 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 controllers are sat back you know sat behind just literally laughing at them laughing at everybody and um they don't ever want us to have the conversation like uh, like we've had so that's it first off you go inside to find your paradise secondly i think we just need to be aware that there's people out there that don't have our best interests at heart because they can't experience the love that that we've all built towards yeah i've wrote a lot about indifference like that the the scale to which you can go indifferent will show the amount of damage and destructive toxic behavior that you're prepared to do because like what you just said if if you care about something you don't want to destroy it so when we go indifferent to ourselves or we go indifferent to other people then we're we're in that catalyst to be part of the toxic nature that we're seeing affecting the world when we pull ourselves out and start actually looking at self-care and I don't just mean your body I mean it's like really understanding that you are of value you are there's an equality with all our souls all the different skin colors we've got religions and all that that's just the experience we're born into but if you strip all that away we're all all one if you'd like to say it that way but there's an equality within all our souls and if we recognize for me if we just recognize that one fact that every soul on this planet has the same equal value and significance then all of a sudden blowing someone up because you want a bit of land becomes not an option but you know we're slow learners us humans we're very slow learners yes yeah so if someone is struggling, I know we're running out of time, but if, if someone is struggling with a drug addiction, what's what's the first thing they can do that can help them get to a point of like there is another way? Um, well, first of all, of, again, it all comes from within, doesn't it? You know, yeah. we've, we've been sold this notion from American movies that you just chuck someone in rehab and it fixes them. And and sadly, that's the kind of societal, you know, gen, gen, generalization. It comes from within. I would say to anyone listening now, if this is you, uh, whether you're, it's, it's, you know, a glass of wine every night, but, but, you know, you can't stop having that, you know, be realistic. Where is this heading? Is it going to kill you early? If the answer is yes, um, or is it going to make you unhappy? So alcohol, or they're, they're all a depressant. Even the stimulants only last a day and then you're massively depressed. So you got to take action. Action creates action. And whenever you take action, your problems just become so much easier. And the universe starts to give to you because the universe wants you to live in your higher self. I would say if you're struggling, remember you are massively loved more than you ever, ever can understand. I love you unconditionally. My crew would love you. We'd welcome you into to our circle. We meet every month, me and me and my my paid supporters. They only pay £1.99 a month. That's like four bucks or something. We have a lovely chat. We just meet beautiful and we've all struggled. All of us struggle. And Struggling is good because there's no such thing as bad experience. You'll notice 
I ne- I've never said I wish my life wasn't the way. Absolutely not. I live in paradise. So my life's been perfect, isn't it? It's been perfect for where me. Where you needed to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, there was some there was some tough times, but hey, you know, not I ain't gonna complain. I'm now in a beautiful position. I don't have to put that on to you know, my children, because I get it all now, you know. Um, and so reach out. If you want to reach out to me, um, I am I'm incredibly inexpensive simply because people are so lackadaisical and and skin flints about like investing in themselves um <laughs> but but i'm putting it out there if you want to take action like get hold of lorraine or you're welcome to go on my website book a chat with me um and i i if i don't make your life better i i give you all your money back i i'm not here to steal off people do you know what i mean it's it's there's a simple system to to making your way into paradise but you you've got to want it and um you know you've got to want and, it and don't don't let the shame hold you in a place there That's isn't any shame it's just an unresolved yeah. emotion that you haven't dealt with yet it's not an identity it's not who you are it's not feeling no you. it's um you be proud mm. be proud of your experiences you know i'm i'm incredibly you know when i see people that judge they live such timid, scared, parochial, like blinkered lives. And here I am, I'm just completely free. And I, well, I'm the only person I know that genuinely lives in paradise every single day. I know a lot of people working in, but I'm, I don't actually know everyone that knows the secrets. So like, like I say, I must have done everything right. So, yeah. so uh, now it's time to do flip the book. Would you yeah. like? Actually, I'm going to pick the book for you, so yeah. to save time. So, could you give me a number between 189 and 215? Okay, 211. 211. Right. So this is part of the core of your soul, part of the essence of yourself. It'll be something that's important to you. So you've got five paragraphs to pick from. What would you like? Uh. Could you pick one for me? Yeah, I'll go five. That's just where my eye went. Trust. So trust is confidence in your own and another's integrity. It is also the confidence that truth is significant. Trust is your resonance with truth in action. So when you trust, it's your resonance with truth in action. When you accept the truth of all energy and do not discount your own awareness your trust in yourself expands. It is important to trust yourself to be truthful because if you protect the lies you tell yourself, you become your own oppressor. Trust is to grace yourself with acceptance and to be honest without fear. Trust is taking responsibility for yourself within your reality and to engage with truth. That sort of sums up how you step-stoned yourself out of where you were. You started yes. to trust. Very profound, yes. Very profound. It's really, it's really simple, Lorraine. Perhaps if I, I've got to go because I've got someone yeah. waiting for me. Sorry. But anytime you lie, it come. It just it it's your. It I think it's to do. I think they call it the karmic record. But 
Yeah, like, well, you know, you, it's an action, and that you're storing that energy within yourself, and somewhere along the line, it's got to be dealt with, or it's going to be relived again. Sometimes it's got to be relived so you can deal with it. So, mm. but I know you got to go, and I thank you, Chris. I appreciate the conversation, and um, thanks for your time. Absolutely, Lorraine. Much, much love to you and to all of your your wonderful friends out there. Um, look forward to chatting the next time. <laughs>